If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swentoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. Solving after dark fishing mysteries begins by asking the same fundamental questions as we ask in the daylight. Where are the trout? And how are they feeding? But answers at night are elusive. Conclusions are sparse. And the shroud of blackness masks clues that might easily be seen under the sun. It takes time and stubborn persistence to fight through the slow nights, to wade through black water, trusting your memory of the riverbed for what the next step will bring. Eventually, the elements of approach and casting become easier. Seasons of night fishing experience teaches us the suppression of fear. And a new level of comfort, acceptance really, allows the nighttime angler to finally focus on the important questions. Where are the trout and how are they feeding? Welcome to episode four of the Night Fishing for Trout series on the Trout Bitten podcast. This one is about finding trout. It's about making plans while remaining flexible. All right, let's get right to it and let me bring in my night fishing friends. I've known these three anglers for a long time, and I've learned many good things from each of them. You guys have all the answers. Isn't that right, Austin, Dando, all of them? Josh has most of them. Oh, okay, Josh, (laughs) darling, are you an expert? That's what we've heard. Yep. Okay, that's Josh, darling, right there. Trevor Smith, how uh, are your expertise in the night game? He can't even take himself off mute. (laughs) I hate to see that. College didn't teach him that. I, I was, yeah, it pretty much eliminates the point I'm just trying to make. I don't teach you that. I don't teach you that in doctor school. No. No. Um, I feel pretty self-sufficient in the night, night game. You're getting there, huh? Mm-hmm. So we have yeah. three experts and then me. 
<laughs> I went out. Uh, what was I out on Sunday night? Yeah, Sunday night. I'll tell you guys about that later. Later on, we're going to share a couple stories about how we change things, uh, why we change, what happens when we have a plan, and then we need to adjust it. So we have, we might share some, we will, we'll share some stories, and I'll tell you guys how it went on Sunday for me. All right, before we dive in, here are a couple questions from listeners. Keep them coming, everybody. Question number one. Mike Greco from New York sent me this one through email. He said, Dom, I'm really loving this night fishing series. I'll be sad when it's over. Me too, Mike. Uh, You mentioned in the last podcast that you keep count of action on the water, but I didn't quite understand this. Would you please go through that some more? And do the other guys keep track the same way? Thanks to the whole Trout Bitten crew for all you do. I'm learning a lot, and I just enjoy listening in on the camaraderie between you guys. Well, thanks, Mike. We like the camaraderie and friendships, too. I like learning from the experts. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Speaking of which, let me speak. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah. Back off. Back off, everybody. Trevor's got something. I think uh, when we first started night fishing more, um, and we're learning, we're more in the beginning of the game, I think we paid closer attention to our hits like our our caught lost and missed fish mm. and and the reason we did that a lot in the beginning was because we had a lot of lost and missed fish um probably 3 to 4 times as many either lost or missed fish as we caught mm. and because of that yeah. we were really trying to scratch our heads and and think about what we were doing wrong if we were doing something wrong is this just something that is inherent to the night game that we have to get used to. Yeah. Um, and you were super helpful as we were kind of mulling over that question because one normalized the fact that misses and lost fish were more common at night, but also some of the things that you had learned about helping to counteract that difficulty, maybe being more patient with yeah. presentations, setting the hook a little slower. And but really, too, a lot of Josh and my um, necessity to sort of design a better fly for the night game came out of just our assessment of how many fish we were losing and missing. Yeah. Um, and it just felt like there has to be something, some way to improve this mm-hmm. to the point that now I, th- I think we've stopped keeping as close of track. And we, we still do at the end of the night, we kind of summarize to some extent, but we've also tipped the odds so much further in the favor of catching and hooking up with the fish that we interact with that we feel less, I think less interested in the number that we're missing and, and losing just because it's such a smaller number. Hmm. So Trevor catches them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, it largely depends on the night and changes kind of night by night. I yeah. admittedly have probably the least night fishing time compared to the other three of you here. So for me, those numbers are are really important. And it seems like some nights they're super eager to eat it. And those lost fish or missed fish are really minimized. And some nights Mm. they're just so shy and they're like nibbling the hook or nibbling the materials on the fly. And I miss a lot more. So I can't say the experience I have has led to dramatically increased landed fish versus lost or missed, but I definitely noticed uh, behavior differences uh, night to night. Mm-hmm. This really matters, 
particularly on slow nights, it feels like. Because every once in a while, even at night, we do experience those nights where it's it's just kind of like lights out. Like the fish are on, they're eating on top. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And, and you catch, you end up hooking into a lot of fish. And on those nights, the lost and missed numbers just, they, they don't matter as much on those nights that we come yeah. across when everything's working. But most of the night fishing game is things not working. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Well yeah, said. It feels right. Yeah. yeah. And when that's the case, those those numbers of lost and missed fish uh, are much more important for making decisions on the water. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for Mike's sake and maybe anybody else out there listening who doesn't quite understand what we're talking about. Um, I guess I've been doing this for a long time and maybe and it sounds like you guys follow something similar on many nights anyway. Caught is obvious. Gets in the net, you know, or clear to hand. You have complete control and you land the fish. That's a caught fish. Good. It's probably going to be the lowest number. <laughs> um, lost fish to me is, well, I had him on for a few seconds and then he, he got off at some point mm-hmm. before I had that full control and got him clear in. Mm-hmm. And I mean it for a second or two or a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, lost fish for me is usually the smallest. Well, yeah, that's true. That usually is the smallest number. I feel like most of the, I shouldn't yeah, have said it, that about caught. It is that lost fish is the smallest number. Because most of the fish that we hook at night and get a solid hook in them, a solid hook set, I seem to get them to hand. Mm-hmm. So lost is usually the uh, lowest number. And then missed, to me, again, these are the way I, this is the way I think about it. Missed fish is when I get that tap. I get that hit, and I either set or I don't. Yeah. And so it's missed or a chance. Maybe I should call it a chance because maybe I don't even set. I used to set on everything. And if I'd get mm-hmm. a hit, I'd, bam, I'd set. But we've talked about this. And uh, we've been pretty specific about this, and we'll talk about it even more on in the, in the future podcast. Often, we don't hit, we don't strike on that first hit. So, a missed fish is just an opportunity. It is action from a trout. It is response from a fish. It's an interested fish. And to right. me, that might, might be the most valuable number. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, many anglers through the centuries have been saying, ah, I caught this many, I missed a couple. You know, and that's fine for the daylight. That was always fine for the daylight for me. But in the darkness, we've talked about there's so, there are so few good resources that I just wanted to be a little bit more scientific about, not scientific, but I just wanted to keep better track. It made me feel better to get to the end of the night and say, well, I only put two in the net, but man, I, I lost that one and he was big. And then I had some good solid thumps and heck, if you add them up, I had 10 other hits and it's valuable to me. Now, this goes along with our topic for the evening, too, because it helps me make, I think, good decisions, or at least informed decisions about what I should do next. It's good data toward making that next move. And Where should I go next? How should I fish next? Should I change tactics? I just consider the count. What is my count? You know, what's, what are my stats? Hmm. Yeah, and, in, and night fishing being kind of a low numbers game to begin with, mm-hmm. if you're only looking at what you put in the net, uh, you're probably going to miss out on a lot of those other perspectives or viewpoints of interaction you had with fish. So the ability to quantitatively look at the rest of those interactions, um, you know, it helps kind of log and, and maybe create some different ideas about what you're doing out there. I like that. That's a great point. To your point too, Dom, it's always good to make sure that you're making decisions based on good data and not on emotion. And at the end, mm, night, yeah. it's so easy to be discouraged, you yes. know, if you have a long stretch without hits or met or or action and even just night to night, but looking back on, on good 
reliable data that you kind of collected from those nights can really help you make that informed decision of, hey, seems like in this stretch of water, they're consistently responding to wet flies mm-hmm. and I'm hooking and landing more fish on wet flies than I am on streamers or on any other type of pattern. And yeah, it's just a good way to make decisions. It does dovetail nicely into our topic. Before we get to that though, here's question number two. This one is from Elias through Instagram. Great podcast season, Trout Bitten. Makes me want to get out there every night after work. You know. Hey, <laughs> hey, you guys haven't discussed fly size very much. Are you fishing bigger flies, I assume? That's what uh, Elias asked us. Anybody want to tackle that real quick? Yes, generally on average, the flies are bigger. And, and it's some, you might look at your streamer box and find that our night flies are not much bigger than the streamers that you're fishing than the bigger mm. streamers that you're fishing. But if we're taking the average of the flies that we fish during the day and the flies that we fish at night, yes, the flies are, are bigger mostly Sure. during mm. the night. What size hooks, Josh, and often articulated? Yeah, if it's a single fly uh, or a single hook fly, it's for me, it's usually a six or a four. And then if it's a, if it's a, bigger articulated fly i usually go two four mm, no kidding I, I tie wet flies they're like one on really yeah uh-huh. so yours are even bigger yeah, i've got some of those too i will say it depends on a hook obviously and i kind of i've st- years ago i started thinking in terms of inches more than hook size you know yeah so our big my big articulated flies i bet you did <laughs> <laughs> whatever that, it takes hey now <laughs> Hey, now. At my big articulated flies at night are all, the biggest is like five inches for me. But my even, <laughs> even these wet flies that we're talking about, or that we will talk about, even the wet flies, oh, they're like two inches, two and a half, three <laughs> inches sometimes if they got a tail on them. Mm. Yeah. Even the nymphs yeah. I use are, are bigger than the average nymphs that I'm using during the day. We've tried to challenge to the, you know, is there a fly that's too big? And, uh, you know, like within reason, I think we just, last summer and the summer before, I kind of started to push the envelope a little bit and yeah. instead of fishing like a 2.4 on our, our Pendragon, I was fishing like a 0.2. Or I have one like, of those. Yeah. <laughs> you gave me one of those. That yeah. mother is big. <laughs> it is big. So that's, the, that's the jungle cock variant. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. She long. It's funny. I find myself going the opposite direction. Sometimes I I increasingly are tying them smaller and smaller. And on nights where they're very hesitant to commit or to eat, I feel like I do better on my hookup ratio and landing ratio Mm. with flies that are uh, a bit smaller. And I think that's because of a smaller hook gap, easier to eat it, easier to get a hook in them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I also think the waterway matters, you know. Yes. I think what I, some of the bigger trout, I just think that their mouths are so cartilaginous and large. There it is. And there it is. We didn't forget <laughs> about that one. Here. Cartilaginous. <laughs> yes. I just, you know, when you look inside that mouth, all you see is this, these rails of cartilage and all this open space. And I just think That's about these l- little wet flies that they can just clamp down on without getting a hook in them. And then they yeah. can open their mouth and that fly just flies out of there. So yeah. I think... I do think you're right, Austin. I think overall you're going to catch more fish with smaller patterns, but I think, I don't know, I think the reliability of hookup, there's like a trade-off. I think that you're more likely going to hook get a hook into the meat of a large trout sometimes when you're using a larger hook at night, just because you're out of sheer dumb luck. If it clamps down on that thing sideways, you have a lot more 
you know, substantial hook to potentially get into them. I don't know. Well, here's what you do. You yeah. use a smaller fly, but two big treble hooks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, like a big, triple bar, triple barbed. Right. Like a big plug. <laughs> yeah. The triple, the whole big, triple bar. The red ones. Oh yeah. Buy them at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> red ones. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I feel like I feel like whenever I talk about whenever I talk about night fishing, I feel like people's first question is, "So you guys are using like real big real mouse big flies. flies, right?" Oh yeah. And that's and it's it's a I mean, it's true. It's a good question, but a lot of the things that we're talking about in this series, we're trying to cover everything, and we yeah. are going to get yeah. to the the flies. I think we're especially in the last couple pod or last couple episodes yep. of this series, we're going to get into that. But yeah, we're trying to kind of build. Like we're start trying to build a foundation and then work up and to into the and cover every single part of what it what night fishing entails. That's our goal, at least. That's a good point. I mean, we are definitely doing things different than I suppose most people would expect. We didn't jump right into like, hey, you know, mousing and hey, wet flies right. and the and and how big are the flies and how how should you fish them? You said we're building a foundation, and the foundation is way more important than the flies. And it's even more important than the tactics, I believe. If you aren't comfortable out there with your lights and your approach, and even the stuff we'll talk about tonight about your plan, you know, make it a plan and then adapting to the conditions. If you aren't comfortable in the darkness, you're not going to do it. So it doesn't matter if you know what the tactics, you know, should be or could be. Yeah, whatever. We're doing this a little bit differently. Maybe we're approaching it differently than people expect. But I should say the next podcast is about top water and then just under the surface, right? Top water and whatever, upper column, mousy merger stuff. And then the, the final podcast will be on mm, wet flies and nymphs. And then we'll try to wrap it up. That one will probably be two hours. So you should probably have a seventh one. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Who knows what will happen in this, in this life? At least it's not one podcast, How to Night Fish. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we've seen in other topics. No, I mean, that's what, in fairness, <laughs> that's, and in, in, in articles, right? I mean, in fairness, that's yeah, what people try articles, to do. Yeah. The model, yeah. That's what they're getting. If somebody's writing an article, that's what they're being paid to do. Te- tell people how to night fish. Oh, okay. In 2,000 words. Okay. Yeah, let me do that. Right. You know, right. they yeah, don't want tough. substance. That's yeah. tough. And I said last week how there are 30 articles on trout pitting, um, averaging, I don't know, 1,500 words. On just on just night fishing, and now there's all these podcasts, and we're only. I still feel like we're only scratching the surface. Every week we're like, mm, we got to wrap this up. Got to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do an advanced night fishing series, like a couple years from now, after we learn more, and we're more advanced, or I catch up to you guys. Yeah, what we've learned since then, <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Seriously, yeah, that's reasonable. I mean, good. All it good is. scientists change their opinion based on new information. Oh, I yeah. think we should be the type of fishermen that continue to change based on new information. Well, it's the learning, right? Everybody yeah. here, we feel like that, right? Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout Pitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. 
At Nutrio, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with Nutrio Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. So let me use that to get us into this topic right here. Let me tell you a quick story. Aiden, my youngest son, that looked at me last night while he was eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> at night, did you guys do that as a kid? Like eat cereal? Do you still do that? Eat cereal at night? Yeah, that or... All the time. Cookie crisp? Aiden was eating cookie crisp. We don't have cereal in the house. What? I ate Jozo's. <laughs> Jozo's. Vern only gave me raisin bran. Huh. Vern. There you go. <laughs> Austin's dad only let him eat raisin bran. <laughs> yeah. Weetabix. When I was a kid, man, we were not allowed to have sugary cereals. What oh, do you yeah. love, Josh? Man. Grape nuts with maple syrup in it. Oh, you know it. Grape Ooh. nuts might be the grape best nuts cereal. Are, are great. Mm-hmm. I do grape I nuts and I just, you just pour in a little bit of maple syrup. Oh. Mm. Oh, that's great. I've never heard of grape nuts. Yeah. It's just what? bran. It's just straight. Like, what's, what's that? Yeah. Oh, how It's straight. It's only fiber. It's like straight it's fiber. Yeah. You always fill up the bowl more than you, you know, more than you should. Oh, yeah. You're like, I can eat all It expands. Oh, yeah. It expands. Bit. Yeah. Grape yeah. nuts. You guys over milk or do you under milk? Over milk. Over. Over milk. You can always, always drink over. it at the end. You're yeah. all wrong. <laughs> Vern didn't allow you to waste milk. I, I always over milk, and if I have leftover, I pour more cereal into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, same yeah. here. Unless it's right. grape nuts because you're already full. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. It doesn't work. Yes, it does. Then just eat the dry, <laughs> eat the cereal off the top. It stays crunchy. Who wants the soggy? No one wants the soggy. No, you don't get soggy if you just no. put a little cereal on top of the over milk. Oh, yeah. No, no, and then no. you just continually replenish the cereal and eat it fast. What's enough. in the bottom? Milk. <laughs> Austin, man, this is three to one. Austin, your your cereal eating days started late anyway. Vern wouldn't let you think of raisin bran. We're experienced. We had it all. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll stand down. Cereal all right, so Aiden veterans. was eating cookie crisp because <laughs> Becky, my wife, you know, you've all heard Becky. She won that battle a long time ago about like healthy cereals and like fun cereals. So Aiden's eating cookie crisp last night, and he looked at me kind of miserable. I just figured it was because of his four-day weekend, and it was almost over. You know, he had a really good time playing with the neighbors. He was, he did two fishing trips in four days, and, you know, Labor Day. We're, yesterday was Labor Day. So I figured that's why he had this sour look on his face, eating his cereal. And I asked him what was wrong, and Aiden stared back at me kind of flatly. It was like 9.30 at night. And he, he said, and I quote, I just want to fish all the time. <laughs> in his little gravelly voice. <laughs> I didn't want to fish all the time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know. And Aiden is it what I call the independence marker, which is 12 years old. I think all of us know what we're talking about. I wrote an article about this. I call it the independence marker. Right around 11, 12, maybe 13 years old. Boys and girls get to that point where they go, hmm, I could do this myself. And anyway, you know, Aiden's branching into fishing. 
just at the same time Joey, my oldest son, did. Anyway, he says, I just want to fish all the time. And like, it hit my heart when he said that. I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand that. Like, I do. You guys get it. You know what I mean. Seriously. Like, I had empathy for it, for him. I'm like, oh. And I like tapped him. I'm like, I know, buddy. I'm like, that's, that's, that's how I live all my days. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm just thinking about the next fishing trip. And like, so again, like Aiden's early in this fishing game and he's like just learning what that feeling is. And I know there are other hobbies and other interests that'll take you there. But in my life, fishing is what has taken me there, right? So I love fishing and I'm intrigued by catching almost anything in any way. Yeah, I have my preferences. You know, I love trout. I love all these kinds of fly fishing that we talk about. But you, you guys know, and many listeners probably know, that I've been doing some saltwater stuff for the last few years now, too. Yeah. Uh, up until this year, it's always been just daily fishing trips. And uh, I'll go out in the morning and in the evening on our family beach trips. So that gives me like, oh, 10 or 11 or 12 shifts, you know, per year. What is that? Not much, right? Uh, but this year, I'm going back a few times here this fall. And my first trip back is probably next week where I'll hopefully catch a bunch of fluke. And, nice. and then I might do another trip. In, I want to do it, another trip in each month, October, November, December. And I want to target striper because I've never, I've never done it. So I'm a, uh, I'm a surf caster. I don't care about bays and inlets. I know there's more fish there a lot of times, but I don't, I don't care. And I don't want a boat. I know I can catch more from a boat. I don't want to hire a charter. I don't want to buy a boat. My God, <laughs> Becky would love that. I just want to stand on the beach and cast into the ocean. Like That's my thing right now. I do this mostly on a spinning rod, which shouldn't surprise anybody if you know me. And I've really started to narrow down what I like to do. I'm fishing bucktails in the surf. And learning to read the beach for structure is, is like all new to me. Well five or six years, seven years, I think now. It's not that new. And like trying to find fish first, because that's the key, and also trying to dial in good presentations. And after a few years now, like I know what a good presentation feels like. But I love this. Like I can't get enough. But here's why I bring it up. Because doing something novel or something new for you kind of makes you start at the beginning. I think it's a good thing in life. And you realize you can't make too many assumptions. You have to do research (laughs) and you're probably overwhelmed by a big world of options. You can do it this way. You can do it that way. And everything at this, at that early stage is a question. It's hard to find those good answers too. You have all these questions, hard to find the answers. You don't know what to trust or who to trust or what, what resource is good and what's bad. And a lot of what you hear or read just doesn't even really apply to the rivers or the lakes or your beach that you're fishing, right? And then too, making these trips that you want to do requires a lot of planning. But you're doing that planning around a set of assumptions or hopes that you know very well might not work out, right? (laughs) So even after a couple decades of night fishing, I still have that new feeling to the game. I think every night fisher would relate to this. It is a deep mystery. I don't care how often... You night fish, I don't think you ever get to the point where you go, yeah, I know exactly what to expect. In the daytime, I feel like, I don't want to say exactly, but I feel like I know what to expect. Most days on my familiar waters, all season long, 
I feel like I can go out there and go, I think I know what's going to go on. That doesn't mean I'm right all the time. That doesn't mean that I don't make adjustments, but those adjustments are made within a narrower framework. But this night game is a deep mystery. And sure, I do understand a lot more about what's going on out there than I used to. However, for every night fishing trip, even if I'm going like four or five nights in a row, I spend a lot of time thinking about the conditions, you know, looking at river gauges and and, and weather predictions and and moon phases, (laughs) and then making plans around those conditions and then tying flies and, you know, organizing my gear, maybe even trying some experimental flies to solve a problem that I encountered on the last night out. That's another good reason to tie your own flies. Mm-hmm. So I'm making plans, but I'm also planning to be versatile and honestly bringing it all back around. That's part of what Aiden was going through last night while he was eating his bowl of cookie crisp. I've seen him lately organizing gear and changing backpacks, <laughs> seriously, and tying leaders and like putting things together and, and actually working on his knots, which is something that Joey hasn't done enough of. Like Aiden is really into it right now and he's digging in, making plans and just trying to learn. You guys feel the same way? Do fishing thoughts consume a lot of your time? Dom, I remember when I first graduated college and moved to North Carolina, I was trying to get into a routine, a rhythm, trying to figure out water to fish and with each day that passed where I felt like, ah, today could have been a good day to go fishing and I didn't do it. Mm. And, and maybe the, uh, the timing of the day wasn't perfect, but it could have been possible. I was getting frustrated with that. And cause I was constantly thinking about when I could next go fishing when and what that plan might be. Yeah. And, and I texted you and I kind of explained those frustrations and you said, well, I feel that way every day. Yeah. Good luck. Let me know when you figure out how to not feel like how that. How to not feel? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And and for as you know, and for as funny as that is, it's also it made me feel a little bit comforted knowing, okay, I'm not the only one who just feels like every day that passes is right. a day missed to to fish to go after it. <laughs> right. So I I definitely feel similar. We all go through it. I there are very few people who get to fish every day, and even when I've had my opportunities to fish all, you know, five days a week, which is not uncommon for me because of whatever, my business. Um, There's other ways that I want to fish, right? I want to get to the salt every day right now. I can't do that. (laughs) I don't know if you felt this way for you guys, but that intensified for me when we started Mm. the podcast. And okay, and Mm. and like it was, it's always been like that, but you could almost in, in busy times of life, justify it, like justify your like lack of time on the water. For things and then we started the podcast and almost immediately i had this like obviously because we're talking about it weekly mm, together just, and i, like, I, I want to be out there and i've got ideas and i'm gonna feel like yeah. i'm learning things from you guys that i want to yeah. go and put into practice yeah. but then also i'm like people are listening to this like i need to be on the water all the time i know legitimacy you know I mean? yeah right. yeah so true i'm with you i, I think my, for i think it's the ideas you know that drives you the next thing trevor yeah huge part of it my desk at work often has more fishing books than medical books on it. And I have oh, yeah. usually like a fishing book open. I have like an article that I'm reading about fishing online and then I'm practicing knots. <laughs> I even have like some mm. fly tying stuff at work so that I could tie flies over my lunch break. It's just, uh, it's, uh, it's an obsession. So do you guys think the night game is tougher or more perplexing? 
than whatever the, the daytime hours? I think it's hard because you're robbed of so much of the normal feedback you're used to getting. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit, but you know, you you may interact with far less fish at night. Your mm-hmm. visual senses are just kind of like shot for most of it, so you can't really observe. You might gather false information on like what water type you're fishing or, you know, like, so I just think it's challenging because, but I think that's also part of what makes us think about it so much because it is like, it's so intriguing. It's like an endless puzzle. It is a puzzle. And so our best efforts to solve it, I think, start with planning and then being flexible. And we plan broadly for where we'll park and the general sections that we'll fish, like our locations. But then we plan specifically what water we want to target first and second and all that. You guys think through that, don't you? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you don't run into many people out there going to spoil those plans. No, but it really is upsetting when you do. (laughs) 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 So if you're out there and it's just not working. And we're talking about being flexible with locations. Are you guys the type to just kind of pick up everything, get in the car and drive 5, 10, 15 miles (laughs) or a whole new watershed? Or are you more going to locally, let's say, mm, are you going to walk 500 yards instead of going 15 miles? Oh, it's definitely going to start usually locally. I mean, Mm. that that feels like the the first call is just to move to the next spot that you know that you have some confidence in and try something else, try something different than the kind of water that you're fishing. And then, but yeah, certainly times where we've, I alone and Trevor and I have been like, all right, let's just, let's just head back to the car. Let's meet up. Let's move three, four miles up river and mm-hmm. see if, see if this, this kind of water is more opportunistic tonight. You ever change watersheds completely? I have never. This river, that river? Not not in one night. No, I've certainly like gone out to a different night the next, different river the next yeah. night. I've done that. But mm-hmm. I have not left one river. I never have. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I never have. Tom, you and I have. No. Mm-hmm. At night? What are you talking yeah. about, Austin? Say the rivers. Probably, I'll bleep them out. We fished, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, basically yeah. the same. And then, we went, we, and then we went up. That's fair. It's, okay. it's, it's yeah. only, it, we still only moved two miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're on the head of one and then the, the tail, tail water. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I think it's hard because it feels, the time feels sort of like condensed into one experience and it's hard. Right on. Like once you pick up and try to change tactics altogether, you're starting at a later point in the night. And some of our, it's so interesting, but I feel like from the start to the finish of a night session, we're so reliant upon knowing and kind of having an idea that like where even down to like where I'm getting in the water and what time of night it is Mm. and what I think the fish are doing at that time of night. And it sort of gets me completely out of rhythm if we change things up too much to the point Mm. that like, I remember a couple instances where I've, I've gotten into the river in a stretch and I thought I was in the same place that I have gotten in before, but I got Mm. in a hundred yards downstream my entire night. I had a very difficult time getting in a rhythm fishing because I was just used to the sequence of fishing this particular stretch of water. So I feel like we're I, I, maybe to a fault we're too risk averse or like change averse <laughs> when it comes to like these macro movements. If any of our listeners watched the second episode of Fish and Film where Trevor and I filmed our night yeah. fishing, like you saw on the YouTube channel, yeah, you saw we about halfway through the night, Trevor was 
kicking my butt and catching all the fish. And about halfway yeah. through the night, we got back in the truck and, and relocated and, and everything changed for me. You know, something about what I was doing that night <laughs> wasn't working where we were. And we got, we got to a slightly different location and all of a sudden. That's true. Yeah. Nearly Namer. <laughs> yeah, sure. Nearly Namer Neville. <laughs> <laughs> nearly Namer. We need a new class of fish, Nearly Namers. Yeah, you catch a lot of those in in between 20 and 24. There's a lot of 22-inch fish, right? And there's a huge difference between a 20-inch fish and a 23-and-a-half-inch oh, fish. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, 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 right. Not the same species. Hey, I like what Trevor said, macro movements. I don't do many of those. And hmm. I, would, I guess I'd argue, Josh, I know where you moved from in two, three, four miles, you know, in the truck right. and being very familiar with that next water that you're going to, not just during the day, but during, it, but at night, being familiar with it. That's not a real big move. In Austin, what you and I did, you brought up, you're right. We fished actually two different rivers, but it was an easy move, right? And so mm-hmm. I won't be as bold as I will during the day. And I know, Trevor, that's what you were saying. In the day, I might say, hey, let's go over the next, let's go over the mountain into the next valley and see what happens over there. Yeah. But night hours are too precious almost, right? And when I go night fishing, I know I'm not spending eight hours out there. I'm rarely spending eight hours out there. Rarely. But many of us here spend eight, 10, even 12 hours sometimes in the day, if the days are that long, if the daylight's that long. In the daylight, you go, well, I got time to do this. I got time. I, I can drive an hour. Then you get over there and you could see everything that's going. You could fish a brand new waterway in the daytime and do yeah. very, very well. Go ahead, try that at night and see what happens. Usually it's going to be a bust. And for me, I fish a lot of weeknights, the way my schedule works out. So I'm not fishing till three in the morning because I have to be up at five to go to work. Yeah. So those nighttime hours are even more precious to me. So yeah. I have slow nights. I don't really consider relocating as much as I do uh, hoofing it down to the next level break and trying to yeah. put myself in an entirely different, maybe bend of the river or water type to explore. So it just kind of depends which what you have to work with. Well, so can we talk more about that? So I think we're all on the same page that macro movements, as Trevor put it, um, not necessarily a great idea for us. You go ahead, try it out. Anybody else out there, do it different. But for us, we'd rather do these, whatever. What do you want to call it, Trevor? Micro moves or micro, micro movements. I mean, micro I think. Micro movements. The, yeah. yeah right, micro right. and macro. And so we might move 20 yards, 50 yards, or 100 yeah. yards downstream. Or fish up, the opposite bank. Turn around. Around a bend, mm-hmm. whatever. I think um, a lot of times for us, that can even look like being open-minded with what water type we're going to find the fish in. You know, yeah. we have our typical lies that we are thinking of, maybe bank lies and slack water and things like that. But there's certainly been nights where we're finding fish in a little bit of deeper water or in water mm. that's moving a little quicker or even mid, I don't know if I'd say mid-current, but like out from the bank further than we would typically be targeting. And And it does take a whole different approach to start to target those from casting to to how we're retrieving and everything. So I think oftentimes I think almost in retrospect about a night and think like, man, I wish I would have, you know, I, in retrospect, I caught that one fish in that particular location. I wish I would have targeted Hmm. that type of water a little bit more specifically, but again, it can be difficult unless you know a stretch of water really, really well in the daytime to think through like, okay, now where am I going to find the next piece of water? That's so similar to this one that I just fished. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I also think it can be because you have these lack of touch points at night. I find myself easily getting in rut in night fishing where I've had success doing this once. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it yeah. again. And, I, and then I, yeah. And it's just so hard to like remain, remain agile in my thinking mm. because I know that the cost of making the wrong decision is just going to be a fishless night. Yeah. And like, well, at least know I've caught a fish doing this before, so I want to do it again. I know. It's a deep cost, too. Yeah. <laughs> For the night angler, our biggest challenge is simply knowing where the fly is and how it's drifting. That's why a glow-in-the-dark fly line is an essential tool for the modern fly angler after dark. The Rio Gold Lumalux is an excellent glow-in-the-dark fly line. We use it in sizes 5 and 6. This weight-forward line has a long head and a back taper that combines power, control, and stability. The Rio Gold Lumalux is well-suited for loading a fly rod with beefy night flies at close range, where so much of the best night fishing action happens. The Lumilux charges quickly with a flashlight and holds a strong glow for 20 to 30 minutes. The line is finished with the Rio's slick cast coating, creating a slick and durable line that lasts for years. Spool up with the Rio Lumilux glow-in-the-dark fly line and change your night game. For over a decade, Smith Creek has designed innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories made to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. Check out the all-new tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up the five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use. The brand new Rod Clip Plus comes with a stiff 304 steel pin and integrated carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it to your vest or pack. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. I like what you said there. I'm always looking for where the fish are feeding at night most. And boy, more, much more than the daytime, it really does seem like, okay, they're in tailouts. Okay, they're in bank water. Okay, they are in right. deeper, faster stuff. Okay, they're in backwater. Okay, they're at the heads of the riffles. And oh, so many nights I'm going, oh, well, all right. I'm really going to get even closer to that bank water, especially the backwater bank water, (laughs) when you can find both of those things together. And it's all of a sudden, if you trust it, you have to kind of learn to trust the data that you're being given. Yeah. First, you have to develop the skills, the techniques, the the comfort level of being out there, but then you can focus on, once you know you're presenting it well, you have to trust yourself. And if the fish are telling you, hey, I'm not eating any tailouts, I'm not there, well, then they're not there. And so you have to, if you're getting hits in that, like I said, slack bank water, you have to start targeting it. And you have to trust yourself. And you got to get to the end of the night and still feel, even if, even if you get to the end of the night and you still catch nothing, maybe you got two bumps, right? Caught, lost, and missed. Maybe you did, all you got was two misses. You have to at least be satisfied in some way you have to be almost proud of yourself for for following sure. through with a plan right yeah. you make a plan it's not going to work <laughs> and then you start adjusting by way of the data that you're being given and you have to trust it but you're not going to it's not going to happen the first time out it's not going to happen the first dozen times the first 20 times maybe in the first year of being out but once yeah. you learn to trust that you can find that success, you're finding fish. You're finding fish means doesn't, doesn't mean they're in the net, but you're finding some success, right? Success just means, to me, a hit from a fish. 
interest from a fish. Hey, you like my fly. <laughs> I didn't right. land them, but that's where the fish are. Okay. Yeah. And so that fish count, that action from the fish matters to me. And then I'll start to say, why are they sitting there? Is it because of the water type? Is it that slack bank water? Or is it on the other side of the moon? Well, meaning how are the light conditions? Is it in shade? Like Josh was talking a couple podcasts ago, targeting the shade lines. Yeah. So finding that success and then trusting yourself to just follow through. Good points. Good points for sure. Another thing that I, that it's easy to get in kind of like a rut with as you're, cause it is, it's good to follow through with a plan and sometimes what that means is it's hard to get yourself to do what we were talking about last week and going back and fishing through something that you already fished and working mm. actually back upstream That's to fish plan, back down though. through something. Yeah, it, it is. But but in addition to that, if things aren't working, it can be a good move. And it's not it's not something that you might might be your first impulse to do. You might want to like, I'm going to keep working downstream and I'm going to target a different water type. Well, you've got a whole lot of water that you just covered, but you only covered the water that you thought they were going to be in on that. So if you work mm-hmm. back, go back up and target the water that you weren't casting to that whole time, it just opens up a whole nother realm of possibility. That's nice. Refishing water. Yeah, with a different technique nice. or with the same technique. But. Let's talk about technique then or the tactics. Like what we, what we want to do with locations is know that we fish it well. We find a rhythm. You're, you're kind of covering water and see what water they're in. You have to find fish. And what that means is what water type are the fish in. Don't change too much right away, right? Just cover water. And then you start to, you start to get those hits. And then what, maybe if you're missing too many, you start to go, all right, what tactics should I change to? I'm doing this. Maybe I should do that, right? I think in the hierarchy of change, tactics have to be that pinnacle of like, if you're, if you truly could understand, because the fish are there on uh, most nights, there's fish in the section yeah. you're fishing in, right? That's you, why you, you chose the water. Out, right, it's why you mm-hmm. chose the water. And yet I'm never satisfied with my progression through tactics to find what they're feeding on. And and, and some of it's the time pressure. Some of it's that at mm. night it's a little tricky. It can take longer to switch rigs. I have maybe two rigs. I like I can switch between streamers and wets super quick. Yeah. I can roll through that now with you know very easily. Mm-hmm. But if I'm say going to switch to nymphing, it takes me a little bit longer to yeah. kind of set things up to do that. And I really dry fly fish very little at night. But I think that if I was more versatile, I might also consider changing the length of my leader or the weights a little bit more. And we've had nights where a single split shot yeah. in our rig made all the di- seemed to make all the difference over and over again as we fished side by side throughout the night and realized at the end of the night, what was the difference between our tactics tank? Because it felt like we were doing the same thing. I was going to tell that story later. I'll let you tell that story later. <laughs> yeah. Jerk. Yeah, um, one split shot, right? One split <laughs> shot. Sure. Yeah. Somebody said that once, right? Right. <laughs> I think a lot of people have. Because weight is, you know, whatever. If you're going underneath the water, that's the fundamental yeah. uh, change to make more weight, less weight. Yep. Right. There's a lot of things we can do with those tactics. We can fish top water. We can fish emergers, wets. I mean, strip streamers in so many different ways. We, we can nip. And all of that can be done like while drifting or swinging the flies, like we talked right. about last podcast. Last week, yeah, we can rig them in different ways, like you were saying, Trevor. Like yeah, maybe add a yeah. dropper or mm-hmm. more weight. We yeah. can change the retrieve speed, faster, slower. Obviously, many th- variations of that in between. Different depths. If you got 
three feet of water, four feet of water that you're fishing. And let's get to the bottom. Oh, let's just fish the top six inches. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it, it so makes much such, you can change, like, right? There's, yeah. a, there's too much. There's too much to try in one night. No person, not even two people together are ever going to try enough. You don't have right. enough time. You don't. And there's every variable is changing. That moon is moving. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I, I, if you do go through an area like three, four times, well, you start to question on that fourth time, did I beat these fish up too much? Did my, I'm coming behind my buddy <laughs> sure, right. and we're making that second pass. So this is the fourth time they've seen flies, even though it's within the last three hours. Is it too much? You know, did those fish move on and they go, I'm getting the heck out of here and I'm going down with the tail out. Did I move those fish by just fishing through it? it too many questions, not enough answers. Yeah, and that's what makes it so challenging, yeah. you know, to have confidence to change your tactics, I think, is just the sometimes the lack of feedback that you might need in order to feel good about that change of tactics. Yeah. In the daytime, the change to the right fly might mean you bring in a fish every 10 minutes, you know, or every five minutes for oh, the yeah. next hour, right? I'll take but that. Yes, at nighttime, you might catch one fish slow on the, you know, near the bottom and fish that the rest of the night and never catch another fish. And you're you're left wondering, did I make a false assumption based on that one fish? Was that the one fish on the bottom? Or should I have changed? And had I changed, would have anything been different? Um, So it is. I just think it's so hard at nighttime because of the lack of, there's just so many, there's less numbers of fish and less Mm -hmm. encounters with fish on most nights, not on every night, but on most nights. And because of that, it can become really difficult and you can play games in your mind about whether you've made the right decision or not. So that's what, I mean, Josh and I have talked about this before, but that's one of the things I really love about fishing together outside Mm -hmm. of the camaraderie and all that. But, you know, and, and we've fished with you guys in Austin and, you know, like it's great to have a few people that you can say like, Hey, we're all doing something different and what's working and that, okay, you found what's working. Let's all try that. Oh yeah, it is working. Um, that's ex- exponentially valuable at night. That's a fantastic point. That's the best reason to fish with other anglers, even during the day too. The coolest thing I think about fishing is you can find, you do find groups of fish that can be 50 miles away from each other that are doing the same thing. And you go, oh man, yeah, most, so true. most of the fish were out of the, out of the skinny ripples. There you go. And everybody's fishing a different fly, maybe even a different way, but they were all coming out of the skinny ripples. So there you back to locations. But then of course the tactics matter too. Yeah, for sure. Trevor and Austin and I were all fishing a relatively small river together not very long ago. And we had kind of set our minds on a somewhat short stretch of river. Even we were fishing and it was, it was honestly, it was a pretty slow night to begin with and I started, I think, right in between Trevor and Austin, I think. And Austin was fishing up above me and Trevor was fishing down below me. And we were all kind of using different tactics, I think, at the time. Yeah. And it was one of those situations where I'm like, I know that I'm fishing. I'm like, I'm not catching anything. Nothing's really going all that well. I heard Austin catch one up above me. But I know that I've got a smaller... I know that I'm the only one fishing a bad mother right now. And I know that it's a pretty small bad mother. And it's probably smaller than the fish, the the ones that Trevor are fishing. and And it's... on top of the water, unlike what Austin's doing or whatever the case was. But I'm like, so I'm going to go up yeah. and fish all the water that Austin just fished, but with a small bad mother mm, on. Right. And, and immediately it was just like into fish, you know, because it was just, it was just a slightly different tactic that that's what they were. That's what they were looking for. Same location, different tactic. That's a great point, Josh. And it was so obvious too, like immediately uh, the water I just covered 
you started pulling fish out of. And then you radioed down to say, oh, I'm catching fish on a hmm. bad mother. So I thought, oh man, I better put a bad mother on. Hmm. And then I did that and ended up catching fish also. And it's like, huh. Yeah, yeah. You gotta love it. I mean, yeah, it's just undeniable. It's right. not luck. No, you know? no. Yeah. No, there's something like tangible there. Mm-hmm. Right, but I, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I will never let myself believe it's like, ah, Josh locked into a couple fish up there after I fished through it. No, he did yeah, something that right. I could have done the same way. He, he wasn't lucky. Every so often you luck into a fish, but when you're going bang, 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 right after somebody went through and they did nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're running cleanup too. I mean, they already saw flies, but now you're, yeah. you know, you're putting the right fly at them. There's, it is not luck. It is not. Let's tell some stories, but before we get there, let me say that like versatility is easier as you gain experience. We've talked about, we had a full podcast on being a versatile angler. We kind of acknowledged this during the day, but it's hard to change tactics at night even more. Like to switch from slow slides with a top water pattern to perhaps straight swinging with wets, you know, downstream, quartering down and across with wets. That's kind of a, I don't know. There's a lot to that. There's a couple rig changes, not just the flies. You might want to do something different with the leader. It's going to change the way that you're even wading in the water. There's a lot to that change. And when you aren't really comfortable with either of those tactics, if you haven't done either one of them enough, if you haven't spent enough time doing either one of those, that's a tough change. And so once again, just to kind of remind people like we talk about being versatile and doing all these tactics that in the next two weeks, in the next two episodes, we're really going to dive into those tactics. As we talk about those, we are not suggesting that you should go out there and be ready to do all these one, two, three, four, five, or six things in one night. Good point. Right. You shouldn't try to tackle them all. Maybe go out and spend one season just doing a mousy merger you know, and learning what that feels like. Or maybe you you start with wets or perhaps nymphing or pure top water, whatever. Get comfortable with it so that you can say, I'm getting a good presentation. I am doing what I want to do. Back to the saltwater stuff, this year and even last year, at the end of last year is the first time I could ever say, it's like, I feel like I'm getting good presentations with these bucktails. That's cool. Those years before, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) <laughs> and it feels weird. Ah, man, what? oh my, I accidentally caught one. But no, these last couple of years, I caught a lot more because I was getting good presentations. I learned to trust myself. I guess you can only force that so much. You can only make so many plans and you're following through. You can only, it takes time, right? It takes time in the water and uh, all kinds of fishing experience. And then you finally go, you know what? That's a good presentation. Whether a fish eats it or not, I trust myself to know it. That's good. And then I can move on or I can change tactics. That's kind of what we're saying. Be flexible with the locations, micro and macro, right? And then be flexible with those tactics. Topwater, emergers, wets, stripping streamers, or maybe even just drifting streamers, and nymphs. We will get into all of that in the coming weeks. Before we get out of here tonight you guys want to tell a couple stories maybe each of us just tell one story about how being flexible and adapting to the situations you know really change the night or save the night for you who's gone josh you have something yeah trevor alluded to the uh 
to the story earlier when we were talking about the one split shot. And yeah. uh, and that this, that was a again we were all fishing together, and so we had a little bit of an advantage to gain as much information. And we were using radios, which Dom loves. Dom loves, loves using radio. radios. <laughs> yeah, breaks the silence. I don't, I don't care about peace and quiet out there. Right. Uh-uh. And so we were all fishing together. We were pretty spread out. Like like when we say fishing together, we're not necessarily yeah, right. fishing right next to each other. We're not fishing no, the same hole. We're not even away. we're not even fishing in sight. Sometimes you know. Yeah. It's just we're fishing on the same river in in relative nearness. Yeah. And it was a relatively slow night, as most nights are. And I was fishing a pen dragon primarily on top, and it was a very dry pen dragon. I wasn't catching anything. And over the course of the night, I kept the same fly on for a while and it got waterlogged and it began to sink a little bit beneath the surface, just a little bit. I mean, just a little bit. We're talking a couple of inches and, and I would, it would dry off on the cast. It would shed water. I'd get in there. It'd float for the first half of the drift. And then as it started to swing, it would start to sink a little bit. And as that happened, I started to get, catch some small fish and I'm like, okay, so they're not they're not taking it on top they're taking it All beneath and i'm and i'm consistently catching small fish a couple inches beneath the surface on the tail out not necessarily where i would expect bigger fish to be and so i said all right i'm going to add a split shot to this and we're going to do the same thing i've been doing just with one split shot and i'll say one relatively large split shot so that it will drag the head under a couple inches right off the bat as soon as it hits and i mean it was like we were talking about before, it was undeniable. Immediately, the action changed, and and I was starting to catch fish on the drift portion of my of my cast rather than swinging out below, below me. And they started to be Love bigger, it. and I started to radio these guys. I'm like, hey, they're on the pen dragon. I had failed to mention that it was two inches below the surface until the end of the night. But <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Josh claims to this day that it was an accidental omission, mm. but uh, I think, you know... I think he knew what he was doing. (laughs) Wants all the big ones for himself. I had a lot of difficult nights that summer. That was a couple years ago. I felt like I fished probably maybe six to eight trips without maybe catching. I caught maybe maybe a fish a night, if that even. Um, It was a really dry spell for me, and it was pretty discouraging and hard to maintain my hope in each presentation. But one of the things that I've... What that I realized as I was going through that period of time is I really wasn't, I was, tr- I was really sticking with the success that we had had early on with a particular set of tactics, um, mainly that being the Pendragon. We'd kind of recently innovated that and discovered that and, and been using that. And yeah. I just wouldn't go away from it. I refused to go away from it. I thought that I could force success with it. Huh. And it wasn't until it was pretty late that summer. I I sort of just was like, well, out of desperation, I'm gonna just try anything or try whatever. And I went from fishing the pen dragon a lot to fishing wets and even some non-articulated streamers and swinging them and and swinging as my primary presentation yeah. through water types that were a little more versatile and not such not always bank driven. And I started to finally catch fish. And and while it wasn't like I discovered something brand new that, you know, nobody else has talked about before, for me, I think that was one of the first times that versatility led to success. And I sort of realized that like there isn't just this one, there isn't just one tactic in the night game that's going to be 
able to be applied to all situations. I'm going to have to remain versatile if I'm going to catch fish consistently. And the quicker I could have made this change, the quicker I probably would have got back into fish and maybe even just had the confidence to to cycle through those tactics a little bit more readily or earlier in the night. So now I feel like, I mean, a couple of years later and a lot more nights under our belts, I think Josh and I are pretty quick to start cycling through a lot of different tactics to the point that maybe to a fault on some nights when we don't get fish early enough or quickly enough, we just will start to rotate. And so there's always that balance of have we get really given primary tactics a good chance? Are we rotating yeah. too quickly? Are we, you That's know, I think those are the questions that will always plague us no matter how many times we go out at night. The only nights we don't spend much time thinking about it are the nights where we really catch a bunch of fish. And who yeah. knows if those are right. indication of the tactic or the fish more. Yeah. But it's cool to think about. Man, I can't overemphasize how much versatility is important at night. Those questions never stop coming. So I said I'd tell a story about whatever. The last time I night fished was Sunday night. You guys know where I was. And I wanted to go downstream because I haven't fished that water at night for mm, a year. And so I worked downstream. I got some hits right away, but they felt like little fish. It was two or three fish in one spot and another fish in another spot. I think he hit twice. Um, and I'm kind of keeping track of those stats, right? But it didn't catch anything. I'm like, well, I'll get down to that little island. Nothing. Get down past the island, get another hit, another hit or two. And I will say, mostly, my goal was to be versatile or to change things, be flexible by way of location more than anything else. I was on the mission to look for fish. So I was staying with primary tactics, got all the way down past that island that you know where I was, fished a large part of that flat down there. And then finally I got to a place where it kind of gets out to a path where I could get to that path. And I went upstream pretty far, quarter mile, more like almost a half mile because I wanted to come down through some of that other stuff that we've all done pretty well sometimes. And I was thinking like, that's got to be it. And by that time, it was 1230. By the time I got up on that path and I walked up, by the time I got down in there and I re-rigged, I wanted to be kind of back to the primary tactics. I had cycled through some wet flies and some other stuff. I never did an for that night. Anyway, I re-rigged. By the time I got to the top end of what a lot of times we'd start at, it was one o'clock. And then I think I was done at three o'clock. So I was moving fast. And you guys know that to come down all the way through there, all the way back down to the access in like two hours is moving pretty fast. And you guys wouldn't be surprised where I got the hits. You know, they were right where you would think they would be. And I would say, though, when I got about halfway down through, the tactics changed being flexible that really seemed to make a difference, seemed to make a difference. I went to the Harvey Wets, and I was in some slow stuff. And I ended up catching the only fish that I actually caught that night on a Harvey Wet. I was fishing a pair of them, and he ate the, the upper one, which is fairly small. It's a good fish, too. Yeah. And the fish was 19. It wasn't 20. But it was, I was happy to catch it because it was, it was exciting. You know what I mean? You're working all night and there he is. And I had had some hits. And like you said, Austin, keeping track of that count is what kept me in the game. If, if I was just going, man, I haven't caught a fish tonight, I'd have yeah. been going, I got to get out of here. It's, it's mm. 2 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm having my chances. Stayed yeah. with those Harvey Wets, came down through some of the great spots. And uh, it had been a tailout night. Almost every 
well, most of the misses that I'd had, and I did lose one, were all in the tailouts. So I was really focused on some of those tailouts, and I had a good, solid hit, and I set just too quick. Like we've talked about, I did. I hit them too hard. It was my. I felt like that miss was my fault. I'm like, oh. And imagine if I'd if I'd have landed that fish. Imagine if he was a neighbor, or even if right. he was just 22. Right. Right. I'd right. imagine how it would have been a great night. Right. You'd have gone, that's a great night. Right. And so that's part of my message too. Like make these changes, be versatile. Don't be too hard on yourself. When you're getting yeah. the hits, yeah. it doesn't matter if they end up in the net. If you got inches from a trout, good for you. Yeah. Anyway, I had yeah. one more hit toward, I stayed with those Harveys because I was getting misses and that one solid thump really kept me going. Wouldn't you know at the very end, and you know where I'm taking out. At the very end, I was just half-assing it. It's like three o'clock, and I'm like, "Okay, I, I got to get through this deep stuff." And I'm getting over to the bank, and I mean, boom, <laughs> a big solid hit in a tailout again. And I'm like, "Come on, Dom, you could have had that." <laughs> I didn't even have the line in my left hand, so I missed him too. That's but imagine, seriously, if I'd come out of there with three fish instead of one, and all of them were over twenty inches, or you know, two of them were over twenty inches. Who knows? But for me. Just knowing that I was covering water and doing all of covering every bit of it that I wanted to and slowing down in the best spots. I didn't go and recycle anything. Fair enough. But what kept me motivated was was covering new water, being versatile and understanding, making note of where those hits came from. And then definitely going to the Harvey Wets made a difference for me. I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'll remember cool. that for the rest of my life. <laughs> and in, in some way, that'll influence all my night fishing going forward. <laughs> yeah i like right. it and that's that's a funny point is those nights when when something works it really sticks with you like you're gonna remember yeah. that for the next 10 outings and you're gonna make decisions based on that for the next 10 outings yeah 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 austin you have something so just recently maybe let's say three weeks ago i was out and sort of like trevor was saying i was i was set on a, a certain type of tactic i wanted to fish on top do a little bit of the emerger stuff I felt like I was in a good location with the moon in the right place. I was fishing yeah. a good shade line. Uh, flows were just right. And in my mind, you know, there's not very many constants you can rely on in the night. But for those few things that do seem to, to weigh in our advantage, it was all just as it should be. Hmm. And I probably went for a good hour and a half, two hours trying to force this. Uh, through multiple water types, nothing, nothing uh, you know, coming out to eat, swipe, miss, loss, anything like that. So... I started to change the the column I was fishing. So instead of fishing right on top or the emerger, I uh, I switched to a streamer that was slightly sunken and just fished those maybe those first six inches below the surface. And I did that for maybe 20 minutes. Nothing was going on. Thought, okay, let's keep going down. And I did this maybe two or three times until I reached some, uh, I don't know, maybe three foot deep water. And I was fishing near the bottom and I started getting uh, bumps on a, like a wool-headed streamer that was maybe two, uh, a size two and a four in the back on an articulated streamer. And I consistently kept getting these small bumps and nibbles on the tail out, on the swing. And I was getting frustrated because I set the hook. I might feel them for a second. Uh, they might even blast out of the water and make a huge <laughs> explosion, and then they're gone. And I did this maybe four or five times until I decided, okay, I'm almost there, but it's not quite it. So that's when I switched to a smaller fly. I fished it to, I switched to a, a four in the front and a six in the back. 
And once I felt those nibbles, I did the same exact thing where I started to set right away. And I might have them on a little bit longer and they might come blasting out of the water at me, but they're still coming off. So I thought, okay, I feel like they're eating it well. I feel like I can hook them well, but maybe I'm setting too fast. So I basically at the end of my drift, I would hang it down below me and I'd feel them nibbling. And then maybe after two seconds, like maybe two or three seconds after I feel the first nibble, I just lay into it and all of a sudden the fish would be on and I'd have it. (laughs) And it's like, it's almost like they picked it up in their mouth. They're holding it there and they might be moving around a little bit. And then I set the hook, but I can't feel all that going on. It's just my imagination thinking maybe this is what's happening. Maybe this is where the hook's (laughs) about to be in the fish's mouth at this time. Now I'm going to set. And I had to get into that habit and that discipline. And once I did, you know, the whole night changed and, and, you know, many more landed than I would have if I stuck with that original plan. There you go. That's a good story, Austin. It is. Anything else, guys? Do you have anything else? No. I might go fish right after this. (laughs) Serious? Dead serious. I really might. Nice. I love it. I love it. You on a late schedule, bud? Well, not not really. I just want to go fish now. (laughs) All right. There it is. Episode four of this Night Fishing for Trout series, planning and adapting locations and tactics. All fishing trips benefit from a good plan, and most of us couldn't stop planning, hoping, and dreaming about an upcoming trip if we wanted to. Our night fishing plans are a great beginning because they're formed around expectations and based on the conditions. Where are the trout and how are they feeding? Building flexibility into your plans helps solve those questions. It's your willingness to adapt, to walk around the bend, to work upstream instead of down, or to clip off the topwater pattern and rig up for wet flies. Trusting your instincts is the first part, and following through, making the changes, is the second. So we have two episodes left in this night fishing series, and in the last two episodes, we'll walk through the tactics of topwater, of streamers, wets, and nymphs. It's going to be a good one. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have fun out there. Austin Dando, will you read us out? I will. So remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Hey now. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series in collaboration with Wilds Media. Hey now. Hey now. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. You're welcome. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because that really helps. It does. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, find your life on the water. On the water. <laughs> <laughs> gave it about a second and a half. That's right. <laughs> and then I set the hook. <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's good <laughs> a clean lead gentlemen doesn't work yes it does so, okay yeah let me do that I don't teach you that in doctor school. I like learning from the experts. Most of the night fishing game is things not working. I hate to see that. You're not gonna do it. You're all wrong. Go ahead, try that at night and see what happens. We don't have cereal in the house. What? 
I have slow nights. I have slow nights. I have slow nights. I have slow nights. <laughs> Sorry.